Hello, good morning. Welcome to From Every Tribe. My name is Jordan. I usually do an episode every Saturday, but I am not doing too well this week. I am having to deal with vertigo at the moment, and I've been kind of having to deal with it since yesterday morning and as a result I have not been able to go to work but I figured I might as well go ahead and do an episode a short episode hopefully a short episode I don't know how long this is going to be on a topic that I wanted to address at least one time for for a while and so I figured I'd just go ahead and do it on a day where I am just basically just sitting around a lot. <laughs> so um, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. This is going to be a little bit different than what I've done in the past. I'm going to be going over a particular Islamic argument against the deity of Christ from the Bible and the reason why I want to go over that is because I think it will be beneficial to know this argument so that you can be prepared that if you ever get into a conversation with a Muslim if this argument comes up and it just might maybe it will I've certainly, it's certainly come up for me personally in my conversations that I've had with Muslims and, um, and in listening to Muslim apologists online, you'll, you'll hear, you'll encounter this argument. And the argument is essentially, and I'm going to, uh, excuse me. And I'm going to play a little portion of this particular argument being presented in a debate. And the argument is essentially the idea of what I've seen called, if I, if I understand it correctly, the, it's, it's, it's called Markin Priority. Markin Priority. And Markham priority is essentially the theory that the gospel, the, the, the writer of the gospel of Mark, he wrote his gospel and he is the first gospel that was written. He was the first gospel that was written. I need to speak more clearly. I feel like I'm slowing my words. He is the, he is the first gospel writer that wrote. And so... You have Mark's gospel in existence. Matthew, Luke, and John have yet to be written. And so when the writer of Matthew and when the writer of Luke begin to write their gospel, they use Mark as a source for some of their information that they put into their gospel. So you can kind of picture it like 
to pretend you have the original manuscript of the entire Gospel of Mark sitting right in front of you. That would be astounding if that were to happen to somebody. But let's just pretend that amazing, amazing thing is happening to you right now. You have the original manuscript of the, of the Gospel of Mark sitting in front of you. And you want to write your own account. And you witnessed the life, death, and resurrection of Christ as well. And so you, and so, so what you do is you read the first chapter of Mark, the second chapter of Mark, the third chapter of Mark, and you pull out what you, what you do want in your account, but then where you have things that you don't want in your account, because you don't just want to rewrite the Gospel of Mark over again. You want to put in your own account to it, and your own twist to it, you could say. You write, you, you edit, essentially, the Gospel of Mark. Not the actual manuscript, but in your own account. You... You, you you get what you want out of the Gospel of Mark, and then what where you get to something that you don't want, you edit it. You change what the Gospel of Mark says in order to create your own account. And this is where we get our differences between Mark and Matthew and Luke. That's where these differences come from. And the reason why we have those differences is because Matthew and Luke took Mark, they pulled out from Mark what they liked and copied it and then when they ran into something that they didn't like that they wanted to change that they wanted to edit or perhaps what they are reading from the gospel of mark was not their own perspective and they want to put their own perspective into their own account they will edit the entire story and word it in their own way doing things like that it's essentially just taking what you like and changing what you don't that's essentially a way you could describe it and that is essentially the theory that is proposed in order to demonstrate that the Gospels over time changed in their presentation of Jesus Christ. And the essential argument is that the Gospel of Mark does not believe, the, the writer of Mark does not believe that Jesus Christ is God. The writer of Matthew and Luke, they put Jesus on a higher pedestal than Mark does. Mark doesn't believe Jesus Christ is God. They Mark just simply believes that um, Jesus is just a man. In the Gospel of Mark never calls Jesus God or any of those things. But then we start having insertions of the term Lord and things like that given to Christ in Matthew and Luke that are not found in Mark. So we have, like, that's just one example. Um, that's not the scope of the argument. That's not the whole scope of the argument. That's just one example. You have insertions of the term Lord given to Christ found in Matthew and Luke that are not found in Mark. Um, so you you have a uh, you have an a elevation of status, you could say, in Matthew and Luke upgrading from Mark. And then the Gospel of John, 
just blows it out of the water and the gospel of John thinks Jesus Christ is our God and creator. So there is a development of of a Christology, you could say. Mark has a particular Christology. Matthew and Luke have a particular Christology. And John have a particular Christology. And it grows. It increases in the uh, it, the divinity of Christ grows from Mark into Matthew and Luke and then upward into John. And so Mark doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God. Matthew and Luke believe Jesus Christ is Lord in some sort of way. And then John believes believes that Jesus is God. And so it just grows like that. And so I would like to play for you a little bit of a video of a Muslim apologist presenting this view. And just to simply ask the question, how would you yourself, listening to this, respond? What would be your response to some of the things that you were going to hear this man, whose name is Shabir Ali? He is a uh, Muslim apologist, and he presents this view often. And you are going to hear it presented now in this video and just ask your just make sure you listen to him take into consideration what he's saying and see how you yourself would respond to what he says for example there are improvements which uh, show that in in mark's gospel somebody addressed jesus as rabbi such as in mark chapter 9 verse 5 but then in matthew's gospel in the same incident you can compare them side by side you go from Mark to Matthew, the same incident, uh, that person uh, referred to Jesus as Lord. So in, in Mark 9, 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. In Matthew 17, 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. So in the one gospel, he's called Rabbi, the earlier one. In the later gospel, he's called Lord. So there is a, a significant improvement here from a Christian point of view. Uh, second, there are improvements in which... Uh, uh, we find in the later gospel that Jesus describes himself as Lord. For example, in Mark chapter 13, verse 35, Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. And compare that with Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. When I mentioned this in Seattle a few years ago, James took issue uh, regarding this. Actually, I hadn't mentioned it in Seattle. I mentioned it elsewhere, and then James took issue with it during our Seattle debate. And uh, following that, I wrote a rejoinder uh, reaffirming that this this difference actually does exist. Uh, Third, uh, there are improvements in which the later gospel uh, calls Jesus the Son of God. For example, Mark chapter 8, verse 29, Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. But compare that with Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, Son of the living God. So the later gospel has inserted here, Son of the living God, in Peter's speech, as is admitted by many scholars who have worked on this. Four, there are improvements in which the later gospel suddenly calls God Father, uh, or has Jesus uh, called God Father. Uh, Mark chapter 3 verse 31, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. 
Matthew chapter 12 verse 46 improves that by saying that Jesus said, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So it was God in the earlier gospel, was Father in the second, in the later gospel. Five, there are improvements uh, so as to have people pray to Jesus. Uh, for example, uh, when a storm broke out, Jesus was asleep in the stern. And the disciples came up to Jesus and, and awoke him according to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 4, verse 38. And they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What did they call Jesus? Teacher. Again, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In Matthew chapter 8, verse 25, same incident, uh, they approached Jesus and they said, uh, Lord, save us. We are perishing. What did they call him this time? Lord. It's the same incident, just the later gospel. The situation has been changed, or the, the, the wording has been changed. Then there are improvements to reduce Jesus' emphasis on one God. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, uh, Jesus was uh, asked, What is the first and the greatest commandment? And this is what he said. The first is, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So he repeated basically what is known as the Shema Israel, which pious Jews will repeat twice a day, reminding themselves that there is only one God, Yahweh, as uh, to use the name that uh, uh, James already used here tonight, uh, or Jehovah, to, to use uh, another spelling of the same name. Whether that is right or not, that's a different question, but it's popular. Some say Jehovah, some say Yahweh. According to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, a hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The name there that is translated as the Lord is Yahweh or Jehovah. So it really sounds in the New Jerusalem Bible, hero Israel, Yahweh, your Lord, is one Yahweh. Jehovah, your Lord, is one Jehovah. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it also says, besides him, there is no other. Jesus is repeating the same as the first commandment in Mark's gospel. But then the same story is told in Matthew's gospel. What has happened to the first commandment is just not mentioned. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38, uh, Jesus just simply uh, said the part about loving your Lord with all your heart and, and, and all your soul and with all your mind. And he said, this is the greatest and the first commandment. But that's not true. That is not, the, uh, that is not the first commandment. The first commandment is, as it was mentioned in Mark, the earlier uh, of these two gospels. So... How would you personally go about responding to that? The argument, and the video goes on for longer, um, he, he continues to give differences between the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. And he's presenting them in such a way that is seemingly making a good case that the Gospel of Mark has this one particular view of Jesus and the Gospel of Matthew and Luke has another particular view of Jesus and that the, the, the views of Jesus improve as we go on and he continues to give more examples but I didn't want to just replay the entire video if you want to check him out for yourself and listen to him and hear his perspective going into more detail about it 
His name is Shabir Ali. Uh, you spell it S-H-A-B-I-R. And then Ali. I always get tripped up as to whether or not it is one L or two L's in Ali. I think it's two L's, but it'll come up. He's very popular. And you can listen to him. Um, I I like to listen to him. He's a very good speaker. He's a very uh, good teacher. I really like his style of teaching and things like that. It's really it's really good. I think he's also a fast talker too, so he can get through a lot of material, and he speaks very clearly as well. So he's not hard to listen to. So how would you respond? to what he said. His argument is that there is an improvement. One particular view Jesus and Mark, another particular view Jesus and Matthew and Luke, and John just he just straps some divine wings on Jesus and watches him fly around the sky. Like it's just that's that's essentially the that's essentially the view. So I think the two things that I wanted to just say on that, what he said about, cheer, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and really about the uh, differences between how Mark perceives Jesus and how Luke and Matthew perceive Jesus, honestly does just go, just goes back to the Christian doctrine that Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is 100% God and he is 100% man. So to call Jesus a man in one gospel and then in another gospel to call Jesus Lord or in one gospel to call Jesus teacher, and then in the next gospel to call Jesus Lord. This belief that that is an improvement on the person of Jesus Christ, um, that there are t that those are two different perspectives, is to misunderstand the fact that Christians have always believed that Jesus Christ is both fully 100% man as well as fully 100% God. He's both of these. It is completely appropriate to call Jesus teacher and to also call Jesus Lord. But the assertion is still there, well, yes, but that comes from that doctrine of Jesus Christ being both God and man comes from the improvements that take place in the Gospels where Matthew and Luke improve on what Mark says about Jesus. And so this is where it goes back to... The question, how will you substantiate the deity of Christ from the Gospels with this particular theory? And I think the best way to do it 
is to be able to substantiate the deity of Christ from the Gospel of Mark. Being able to argue the Gospel, being able to argue the deity of Christ from the Gospel of Mark. We all probably know plenty of arguments you can give of the deity of Christ from the Gospel of John, yes. You can make a good argument, and I wouldn't disagree with the argument, that John talks much more of the deity of Christ and 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 that Matthew and Luke in in their own accounts they give quote unquote higher titles but the best way to be able to demonstrate that this theory makes no difference as to whether or not Jesus Christ is God in the Gospels is to essentially even supposing that the theory is even correct that Matthew and Luke took a redactionist approach to the Gospel of Mark that even if that theory is correct Still, Jesus Christ is presented as God in the Gospel of Mark. And not just that, there is consistency between the view and the person of Jesus from the eyes of Mark and the view of Jesus from the eyes of Matthew and Luke and John. That there is consistency between the four. Yes, they are four different accounts. But the idea that all four accounts have to read the same way in all of their givings of the stories is simply not. They're four different people. They're four different accounts. They're going to differ because that's just the nature of it. The gospel according to Mark. The gospel according to Matthew. According to Luke. According to John. They're four different accounts. And so I... I think we can just reject the idea that they all have to read the same and they all have to give the same exact titles of Jesus in all four accounts in 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 order for or something along those lines I I I don't I don't agree with that it's as to the very nature of giving four different accounts that you have four different ways of telling the same stories and three of them are synonymous with each other. They are very similar in their readings and their writings and their presentation of the story of Jesus Christ. But that's a whole another issue. It's very much related, but it's not the exact issue that we're going to be getting into today. Today I just wanted to go over a couple of texts that very clearly demonstrate that the writer of the Gospel of Mark clearly believes that Jesus Christ is God and we are going to compare these texts together with uh, other texts in the Gospel of Luke. We are going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. We are going to be looking at those two. I've personally been drawn to those two Gospels like just out of interest and I like those two a lot. I really do love the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. They might be my two favorite Gospels. Um, even though those are the two that are not written by apostles. 
the other two are written by apostles of Jesus, but those two are not. And I I love those gospels, but let's take this theory into account here. So Mark wrote first, Matthew and Luke wrote second, John wrote after him. Matthew and Luke pulled from Mark and got their source from Mark and changed and edited Mark wherever they saw fit in order to create their own account. Even if that is true, even if that is true, and I do not agree with the implications of such a theory that Matthew and Luke were just trying, that they didn't actually witness Jesus Christ in his life and ministry and things like that, and that they were just trying to create their own story or whatever, certain implications that can be drawn from that theory I reject completely, and I think that there's no way to substantiate it, but let's just suppose that theory is true. Does that demonstrate, and does the things that Shabir Ali in his presentation demonstrate that there is an improvement in the person of Jesus Christ from Mark into Matthew and Luke and on to John no, they don't, because math, because the Gospel of Mark clearly presents Jesus Christ as God, and we are going to be looking at that right now. So, we're going to be starting in Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, and again I'm going to be reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. I'm just going to begin reading. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make its path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And so, what do we see in this text? We see three occurrences already that Jesus is at the very 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 least unique unlike any other man who has ever existed but I think it's very clear that Mark believes that Jesus Christ is God in the opening verses of his whole gospel account he confesses Jesus Christ as being God and let's add one more thing. How can a so that so the, a question that can be ringing in your mind as we listen to these texts? How can a Muslim, as we go through these texts, say 
that these things that are said of Jesus can be said of a, of a mere prophet? How can these titles that are given to Jesus, that are attributed to Jesus by Mark, be given to a mere man and it not become blasphemous? Well, let's keep that question in our minds because Shabir Ali is a Muslim. Sure, the Gospel writers present Jesus Christ as man, very much so. Just because he is presented as a man does not mean he is not presented as God. You can find many places where Jesus Christ is presented as a man. You can find many places where Jesus Christ is presented as God. And in these opening chapters of Mark, we see right at the forefront, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, there is a variant there. The Son of God is omitted in some of the manuscripts that we have. But, supposing that reading is correct, right there, we have a relationship between God and Jesus Christ that is possessed by no other person in all of the Bible. Sure, the title Son or Sons of God has been attributed to more than one person other than Jesus Christ, but... If we hop over to verse 11, where the Father speaks from heaven, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. That title is given to no one else in the entire Bible, Beloved Son. And even if we go into the Old Testament, in um, Psalm 2, where David is writing his psalm, and he says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Clearly, David has someone else other than him in mind when he says, Kiss the son. He is pointing outside of himself to someone else that everyone that takes refuge in him will be blessed. And so the Son of God has a particular authority about himself that is given to no one else in the Bible. And this title is given to Jesus, the Son of God. And we keep reading into verse 2 and 3, and I think these are 100% undisputable. Jesus Christ is called God here. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. This is a prophecy given about the Messiah. No, 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 given about the forerunner of the Messiah. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Sure, the term Lord has been given to people before in the Bible. 
but the word Lord here is Yahweh. And the term, the name Yahweh is never given to anyone in the Bible other than God himself. All throughout the Old Testament, we always see Yahweh, Jehovah, that name is given to none other than God. The, God, the writer of Mark attributes this term, prepare the way of who? The Lord make his paths straight. And we clearly see that as we keep reading, Mark attributes, he believes, that John is the forerunner of the Lord and that John is the forerunner of Jesus. It's very clear. Jesus Christ is the Lord and John is the one who comes before the Lord Jesus, Yahweh Jesus. He is the forerunner preparing the way of the Lord, preparing the way of Jesus. And the Gospel of Mark clearly presents Jesus Christ as the Lord, Yahweh, in these opening verses. Now, if we skip over to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. So, we, so the theory is, there's an improvement. There's an improvement in who Jesus is. Mark doesn't believe Jesus is God. Luke and Matthew believe Jesus is something like God. And John believes that Jesus Christ is God. That there's an improvement over time. There's a development of the deity of Christ over time from the first gospel written to the last gospel written well we just saw from mark mark clearly says that jesus christ is god he attributes the prophecy of the lord coming of yahweh coming and john preparing the way for yahweh he attributes of, of uh the uh the voice of one crying, crying in the wilderness is John, and prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is Jesus, and the one preparing the Lord's way is John. That's very clearly Mark's application there. If we hop over to Luke 1, we see the same thing. We see the same presentation, and we see it in Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah is... John the Baptist's father. He's John the Baptist's father. And Zechariah says in his uh, prophesying, in starting in Luke chapter 1, verses 68, and I'm just going to read. I might read the whole thing. I'm not sure. Blessed be the Lord... God of Israel. Okay, so blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Keep that in mind. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The Lord God of Israel has visited and redeemed his people. How? Let's keep reading. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, 
and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to us to the oath that he swore to our father abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you child now he's directing his prophesying to john the baptist and you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people to the lord's people to the lord whom he will prepare the way for to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our god whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace consistency between the presentation of jesus christ in the gospel of mark and the presentation of jesus christ in the gospel of luke they both have the same prophecy in mind and they both have the same application john is the for the john the baptist is the forerunner for who the lord who was john the forerunner for jesus and this text says that john is going to go prepare the way of the lord and give knowledge of salvation to his people to whose people the lord's people in the forgiveness of their sins what did john say about when he, when he talked about uh when he talked about the knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins what did he say he said uh jumping back to mark chapter 1 he said in verse uh, 7, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so, we have the forerunner, of the Lord giving knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins and what does John the Baptist do he points them to Jesus Christ as the one who is greater than he and we see that the forgiveness of sins is going to be given by the Lord who is visiting his people to redeem his own people. And we see that take place in the person of Jesus Christ. And we will see that very clearly if we jump back to Mark chapter 2, where we have the incident with Jesus healing someone who is paralyzed. And the text, and I'll just start reading at a Mark 
chapter 2, and I'll continue to read until verse 7, yes, until verse 7. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a, para a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That makes sense. The, the Pharisees were right. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to go ahead and keep reading from verse 8. And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. And so... The Pharisees are questioning in their hearts, why is this man saying that only God can forgive sins, yet he says your sins are forgiven? Only, only God can do that. Jesus turns to him, and he says, which would be easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise, pick up your bed, and walk? The point being is, well, it's far easier for any man to just walk up to any other man and say, hey, your sins are forgiven. That's far easier than saying to a paralytic, pick up your bed and go home. He cannot walk. This is something that is visible. This is something that is going to be immediately noticed by everyone. But just walking up and saying your sins are forgiven isn't exactly, isn't exactly something that you'll see with your own eyes. It would be, hard, it would be harder to say to a paralytic pick up your bed and go home but then Jesus says but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins he's saying this is how you're gonna know I have authority on earth the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins I'm gonna tell him to do the harder thing and he's gonna do it to let you know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he gets up, picks up his bed, and goes home walking to demonstrate his sins are forgiven because I have authority on earth to forgive sins. The Pharisees were right. 
only God can forgive sins. Jesus Christ forgave sins. This is according to Mark's Gospel. This is according to Mark's Gospel. And on top of that, we have we have the term Son of Man. Jesus Christ applies the term Son of Man to himself. A lot of people, unfortunately, don't understand what the Son of Man exactly is. The Son of Man, yes, it's a man. Yes, Jesus Christ is calling himself a man there, but the Son of Man is a divine being. He is a man, yes, but he's a divine being. He is a divine being. And we see that very clearly in Daniel chapter 7. We see in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 on, I will read, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's the Son of Man. The Son of Man is one who is presented to the Ancient of Days, the Father, and the Son of Man is given an eternal, everlasting kingdom. It's very clear. The, the writer of Mark believes that Jesus Christ is God. He is attributing the very name of Yahweh to Jesus, just as Luke does. The same prophecy is attributed by both Mark and Luke of Yahweh to Jesus. And the term Son of Man, of whom is given an everlasting kingdom, is attributed to Jesus Christ. And we see it attributed to Jesus Christ once more at the end of the Gospel of Mark. And we will see, let me find it real quick, in Mark chapter 14, verses 61, this is during the uh, high priest questioning Jesus, I'll actually back up and go to verse 60, and I'll read there, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. This is very clear. This is a consistent presentation 
of who Jesus is by Mark, by Matthew, by Luke, and by John. They all present Jesus in this way, as being the Lord, as being the Son of Man, as being the one who will save his people from his sins, as being the one who is given an everlasting kingdom and dominion. This is very consistent. This is a consistent presentation of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that gives the argument that there is a development of Jesus Christ and who he is in the Gospels, that Mark has this particular view of Jesus, and Matthew and Luke have a different view, and John has an even different view than that. The only reason why that has any uh, ability to... The, the only reason why that has any sort of traction is because of the idea that you've got to basically have the gospel rewritten the same way four times. You don't. You do not need the same words and the same titles in the same way in the same stories and the same descriptions of said stories all described in the same exact way you you do not need basically the same gospel to be written four times in a row in order for you to have a real genuine consistent presentation of jesus christ you don't need that what we see here is that even though there are differences between the Gospels, they aren't contradictory. They're just differences because they're different people writing their own accounts. What we see in the four Gospels is consistency between who Jesus is. Sure, we have differences here where one Gospel says Master and, and another Gospel says Lord. What does that matter? In in the grand scheme of things, what does that matter? It doesn't matter because all four of the Gospels present the same Jesus Christ. And the only real argument that one could possibly give is Matthew and Luke and John talk about Jesus Christ's deity more than the Gospel of Mark does. That may be true. Maybe Matthew, Mark, and Luke... I mean, Matthew... Luke and John talk about Jesus Christ being God, being Lord, more than Mark does. But that doesn't really mean much because Mark, in the same way that Matthew, Luke, and John does, Mark presents Jesus Christ as deity, as God, as Yahweh, as one who possesses for himself a people whom he is going to save. And so that's essentially the understanding that I think we should have is that we sh we can avoid this whole argument and having to somehow harmonize all of these different accounts that have different titles being given to Jesus. We can basically just avoid all of that by just learning and knowing how to present the deity of Christ from the Gospel of Mark. The whole theory falls apart. 
If you can do that, and you can, the whole theory falls apart. It's just a lot of times whenever we think about the deity of Christ and Jesus Christ being God, we automatically go to the Gospel of John. And that's fine. That's totally fine. But it just if you're speaking to someone who holds to this theory that there is a development of the person of Christ in all four of the Gospels, you can immediately just avoid going into the intricacies between this account and that account, and, and you can just avoid all of that and the long discussions that come about with that by just simply knowing how to present the deity of Christ from Mark and knowing that the then and knowing that the presentation of Jesus from Mark is consistent with the presentation of Jesus from Matthew, Luke, and John. It is consistent. And being able to demonstrate that is obviously extremely important. And when you're speaking to a Muslim who doesn't even believe Jesus Christ is anything more than a man, Muslims only believe that Jesus Christ is a prophet. They do believe Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah and that he is born of a virgin and those things. But they just believe that he's a man and nothing more than nothing more than a man. A mere prophet. Are they able to take the titles and the words and the actions of Jesus found in the Gospel of Mark and truly say that a mere man can do this and a mere man can say this about himself and the followers of this mere man can say it about him and it not be blasphemous? That's a question to ask. And I hope that if you're ever in a conversation with a Muslim and this conversation of the deity of Christ comes up, maybe you'll be able to shed them some light on the fact that all of Jesus' disciples believe that he was God. And hopefully you will be prepared to give a defense for the deity of Christ, not just from the Gospel of John, not just from the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, but also from the Gospel of Mark. And just as a quick note, just to recognize that this theory called Mark in Priority is not... It's not a minority theory by any means, but it's accepted by Christians as well, many. There is a Roman Catholic man by the name of Raymond Brown who wrote a two-volume book set called The Death of the Messiah. I read a little bit of it. I did not finish all of it. And it's essentially going over the passion of Jesus Christ from his encounter in the garden uh, with his uh, his prayer of Father remove this cup from me not my will yours be done that from there all the way to Jesus Christ's burial I do not believe he goes into the resurrection and he accepts the theory of Mark and Priority the theory that Matthew and Luke pull from Mark. They use Mark as a source for some of their information, and then they edit, they change where they see fit in order to create their own account. Now, the theory isn't in and of itself 
necessarily bad, I don't think. I haven't had a lot of study in it, but it's something to recognize because of its implications that it can have. The implications that Matthew and Luke are not genuine uh, accounts that were written independently from the other Gospels. That Luke didn't just grab a piece of uh, papyri or parchment and just start writing his Gospel, but the fact that Luke had like Mark right next to him and was copying, that that has some negative implications that can be had but it's accepted by many christians as well and raymond brown is one of them a roman catholic man i don't know if he's like a scholar or not but i he he has a uh he has a two volume book set called the death of the messiah where he essentially puts uh the text of matthew mark luke and john all talking about the same event right next to each other on the page so you can read it it's very it's very cool actually and he essentially applies that theory of mark and priority to the text and is trying to explain what he thinks is going on between the differences that are there between the different accounts. And it's a good read. I enjoyed it when I was reading it. Um, but just to recognize that that theory is not just solely a theory that you're going to find from... Muslims or unbelievers, but it is in the church. It is believed by many intelligent people, many scholars, who are professing Christians. And so it's important to recognize that this theory is not just something that just should be dismissed as if it's not anything. It should be known, it should be understood what it is, and we should be able to demonstrate that there is consistency between all four of the Gospels. Even if that theory is true, and I personally don't hold to that theory, but even if that theory is true, it doesn't make a difference when it comes to demonstrating the person of Jesus Christ as given and explained and accounted for in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all four present the same Jesus Christ and that is something that we should as Christians be able to do and thank you all so much for listening I appreciate the support if you want to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at from every tribe I would greatly appreciate that uh, hopefully uh, this vertigo can go away so that I can go back to work and I do not think that I am going to be releasing an episode this Saturday, which is why I'm pretty thankful I was able to release an episode today, just to just to keep up with the consistency of releasing episodes, you know. So thank you all so much for listening. I hope you all have a great day, great week, in fact. God bless.